East Africa is the new kid on the oil market block, but with global crude prices at record lows and the International Energy Agency's bleak outlook hampered by a situation of oversupply, what are the region's prospects realistically speaking? We find out this week on Africa Inc. Say oil and gas in Africa, and Nigeria automatically crops up as the point of reference. It, of course, stands as the continent's top oil pumper, securing 90% of its export earnings from crude. Ghana, Libya, and a few other North African countries also fill top spots, but players are emerging on the East Coast as well. Uganda, Kenya, Senegal, Tanzania, and Mozambique have all hit the jackpot with fines both on and offshore, which could be game changers for their respective economies. Looking at a bit of the activity that is playing out, the UK's Talo Oil is pursuing more onshore exploration in the Ivory Coast. Uganda's kicking off construction of its massive $3.5 billion crude oil pipeline with Tanzania, while South Sudan's hosted its first international oil investor conference just this week, drawing investor attention. But while the opportunity is rife, investors are still having to contend with a lower oil price environment, lack of a progressive regulatory framework that's supportive of investment, and poor infrastructure as well. And that all working to threaten project viability. Chris Bredenhan, who's PricewaterhouseCoopers oil and gas leader for the continent, gives us his perspective on how that's all influencing investment in the sector at the moment and where money is being spent. And with East Africa, the emerging oil player on the continent, Dolapa Orni, who's the head of energy research at EcoBank, weighs in on some of the de developments we're seeing there, with Kenya targeting production next year and Uganda planning to start producing in three years' time. But before we get into all of that, let's hand over to Bronwyn so she can drill into some of the detail on the current landscape. Bronwyn. Thanks, Alicia. While Africa currently supplies about 12% of the world's oil, boasting significant untapped reserves estimated at 8% of the world's proven reserves. That's according to PwC. But with the oil price halving over the past few years and the African oil and gas market has had a turbulent time, we've seen established players on the continent mothball some investment plans and also approach new projects with caution. Besides this, oil and gas companies face political interference, uncertainty and delays in part regulation which is stifling growth and investment in a number of African countries. So in this context let's take a look, closer look at players in East Africa. Countries like Kenya and Uganda are hoping that they can benefit from the oil and gas discoveries that have recently been made in the respective countries. Uganda initially sparked the rush in 2006 with one of Africa's largest onshore discoveries in decades. According to the government estimates reserves are at 6.5 billion barrels and the development of an export pipeline should be up and running by 2020. In Kenya, the development of Kenya's crude oil industry and the construction of associated infrastructure could contribute to the country achieving an economic growth rate of 10%. According to the independent research organization Who Owns Whom, the manufacture and wholesale trade of petroleum products from crude oil and natural gas 
in Kenya contributed an estimated 2.8% to GDP in 2016, with net domestic sales of petroleum products increasing by 6.5%. But this all hinges on political certainty, and the twists and turns in this year's presidential elections has some companies hesitating with their investment plans. The IMF has also cut the country's growth forecast to 5% this year as a result. So taking all of this into consideration, the question is, where to from here? Alicia, I'll hand it back to you as you'll be discussing just that with your guests a little later in the show. Thanks for that, Bronwyn. Well, we're going to a short break right now, but uh, straight after that, we catch up with PwC to explore some of the key issues Bronwyn's just highlighted. So stay with us. In its latest report, advisory firm PricewaterhouseCoopers highlights the growth potential it's seeing in the continent's oil and gas sector, but has simultaneously flagged corruption, lack of infrastructure and regulatory uncertainty as key hurdles to making Africa competitive compared to veteran oil-producing countries abroad. For more on how to navigate such issues, Chris Bredenhan, who's oil and gas leader at the firm, joins us on the line now from Cape Town. Thanks so much, Chris, for your time this evening. So with the sustained downturn that we've seen in the oil price, the industry continues to respond by reducing costs, postponing or cancelling projects and exploring ways to reinvent itself. How's this come to bear on the development of Africa's oil and gas space and the growth that we're seeing on that front? Alicia, yes, we've seen uh, quite a lot of uh, decisions postponed, investment decisions postponed as a result of the, the, the oil price decline that we've started seeing in 2014. Uh, we've fortunately seen a bit of a recovery um, in, in the oil price and also a bit of a comeback in terms of investment. But what it has meant for um, various countries across Africa is a slowdown in investment, uh, a significant pressure being placed on uh, government revenues um, and national oil companies uh, in in certain countries uh, becoming under enormous pressure and also restructuring one key example uh, that that we that I might highlight is a company like Sonangol in Angola that has uh, been uh, a, a really a key part of the Angolan economy with a, with the lower oil price it has required um, quite a lot of cut cost cutting quite a lot of restructuring Structuring, um, and but they've they've started uh, having great successes as well. So Sonango recently announced that they've been able to cut production costs by about 48% over the period 2014 to 2016 period, saving about 1.7 billion dollars for the for the company. So um, the the companies are certainly responding uh, mm -hmm. with with innovative uh, measures to to reduce cost. Closer to home, I think um, Mozambique uh, uh, has seen um, a, a delay in, in the large gas potential that that, uh, that exists there. But the two key players there, ENI and Anadarko, and with the recent entry of, of uh, ExxonMobil, we, we're seeing projects moving forward now. 
And and what we are going to see is a, a, around about an $8 billion investment in the floating LNG in Area 1 in Mozambique with production hopefully coming on, on stream in 2022. But it has had a, a significant impact on uh, and slowdown um, in uh, projects and developments across Africa. As you say, while that slowdown did emerge, we're starting to see some recovery filtered through. And if we're looking at those alternative energy solutions uh, in particular, Chris, I mean, one would have assumed that they would have been a pretty hard hit with the lower oil price, making, for example, hydrocarbons a less profitable avenue to, uh, to pursue. Uh, but having said that, one wonders if it necessarily triggers the pause button altogether where you have this overarching low carbon energy system imperative to consider as well and that's certainly needing a more long-term view as far as investments are concerned. That is certainly true. Um, there, there are two key points around that. The, the first one is the, the, the word long-term that you've used, um, that energy planning is a long-term game, uh, both in terms of hydrocarbons as well as other uh, energy planning initiatives. So, so that's, that's the first point. The second point is that we are seeing a, a shift and, and new energy futures developing, new scenarios developing where we're seeing uh, greater uh, consumer demands being placed on, on uh, the industry to transform. We're seeing uh, companies responding uh, through increased gas projects um, and, uh, and, and seeing that as, a, as one a support to renewable projects as well as um, a bridge to a lower carbon uh, environment as well. We, we've also recently took a view on national oil companies across Africa, and one of the, the conclusions or that, that we've made out of that was, was to conclude that uh, national oil companies need to transform themselves uh, to, to remain relevant into national energy companies where they, they are able to play a, a, a far bigger role in, in, in terms of also supporting the transition to, to the changing energy landscape through, for example, the supply of gas into gas-to-power projects, which uh, international companies like BP are also looking at Africa as large gas opportunities given the gas-to-power market that exists. Yeah, looking at that with the emphasis on national oil companies transforming or transitioning more so into energy companies, Chris, are you being encouraged by any development that you are seeing on that front? Yes, I think uh, if we if we took it uh, took it internationally firstly, and then maybe closer to 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 the African continent, if we look at what's happening in in uh, Saudi Arabia and and their initiatives around uh, transforming their their industry and, and and saying as an economy we can't be uh, solely reliant on um, uh, crude oil, and and they they're looking at at uh, solar and other uh, renewable energy solutions to to reduce that. So there's a transformation happening there. If we if we then bring it bring it down to to the African continent, uh, we we get comments from the Nigerian president saying the Nigerian economy cannot solely rely and will be as reliant as it is on on the oil industry because it is exposed to volatility in, in price. Mm -hmm. And and then similarly, I think um, uh, national oil companies across the continent are are looking at 
also how they can transform from from being in a situation where uh, they have they they're in a country that is resource rich but the resources are, are purely exploited and developed to be exported through to a situation where um, we we can uh, have a, a more of a local beneficiation of the resources that that sit in country yeah is there enough of a regulatory framework in place supportive of growth and the kind of development where seeing in the sector of the economy, Chris, because there are, uh, you know, quite a few lessons to learn from countries that have been uh, big players in the space for the longest while now, uh, Nigeria, case in point, and one would assume that uh, the lessons to be extracted from that experience, uh, you know, would see territories in East Africa avoid a lot of the stumbling blocks that have been hit along the way. Yes, I think there, there are lessons to be to be learned, but unfortunately, um, across the the board, even even in countries where we've uh, where we've had exploration for quite a long time, we we still see the the impact of regulatory delays and regulatory uncertainty. Uh, in in uh, Nigeria, for example, we we've seen the introduction of or the delay of the introduction of the the petroleum industry bill for a number of years that has left. Uh, the country um, losing out on, on significant uh, in direct investment into the industry as a result of the uncertainties. I think Mozambique uh, managed to move forward, um, taking lessons from uh, from other territories in terms of uh, making sure that, that there's an attractive fiscal regime in place that, that would act as the, the catalyst to get the industry to move. Uh, the final investment decisions in Mozambique would never have been possible without um, getting the, the, the regulatory hurdles resolved in, uh, in Mozambique. Well, that was Chris Bredenhan from PwC. Well, straight after the break, the head of energy research at EcoBank, Dilapa Orni, puts the spotlight on the investment prospects East Africa is boasting. So stay with us. past five years have seen international companies like Shell, Tullow, ENI and Sassel zeroing in on oil and gas reserves in Uganda, Kenya, Tanzania and more recently Mozambique. Delapo Orni, who's head of energy research at Ecobank, is on the line now from Lagos to map out East Africa's potential and how the region can harness the full economic growth that these new discoveries can bring with it. Uh, thanks Delapo for joining us on the line today. So I've picked up commentary that there no longer seems to be as much of a focus on East Africa as there's been in recent years and companies seem to be scrambling to spend their limited capital budgets on countries with proven resources and decent fiscal terms. How much of a trend are you noticing on that front? Yeah, it is quite a trend because um, I'm thank you for having me on the show. The real issue here is the fact that you don't have a lot of control over where the oil prices are going to be. And there are a lot of significant issues that are, I mean, going on in the external front and then on the domestic front in East Africa as well. 
that are impacting on, you know, the future outlook for oil as well. So companies are trying to do what they can, which is to find the ones they can, where they can control the cost. You know, where you can get um, cost per barrel, um, deploy their capital, where they can, you know, also maximize their returns the highest. And unfortunately, we East Africa, um, there hasn't been enough work done yet to bring the cost of production down. Okay. So we are we're not seeing as much, you know, investment. Where does East Africa sit on the investment map? What level of investment are we seeing? Because there are a few that seem to be bucking the trend. Sassel in Mozambique, we've got Cosmos Energy in Mauritania as well. So there is some progress. Exactly. So what, what most companies are doing now in East Africa is essentially positioning for the medium to long term. Uh, if you look at the outlook for oil, it's still largely positive. I mean, over the next three to five years, and then over, you, you can you, you have a very positive outlook. It's still going to keep on seeing higher oil prices. We may eventually track above the $60 range. And then over the slightly longer term of five to ten years, it's still largely positive as well, too. Because, again, you're looking at the fact that a lot of countries like China, India, are trying to ensure that they have um, adequate supply before they start switching out of coal. And again, with all the Paris um, climate deals, these countries have a significant obligation to reduce their coal consumption. So, and of course, the immediate substitution is to oil. Now, this is where East Africa becomes very relevant to those countries. Proximity, um, they have very um, receptive governments that are receptive to both Chinese and Indian investment. So that's, that, that's a plus for that region. And I believe that's where the opportunities will lie in allowing these companies more, um, providing a kind of fiscal incentive that will allow investors from this region to come and invest more in East Africa's oil and gas industry. Because what they want is energy security, and what East Africa wants is that its energy reserves should be exploited and as well, you know, monetized. Are governments doing enough to attract, uh, you know, oil and gas investors uh, by offering attractive and enough environment by reform, uh, reforming their uh, regulatory, fiscal and licensing systems? I mean, you've alluded to uh, some of the relationships that are there, but uh, what shifts are we seeing in the regulatory frameworks that makes, it more con uh, makes the environment more conducive to investment? Exactly. You know, for instance, what Mozambique did recently, and that was um, besides it last year, was to provide some sort of uh, special taxes for investment in gas. They also removed duty on um, equipment that was brought in for gas processing, you know, equipment that we brought in for basically uh, developing gas reserves. Now, this is a significant incentive for gas. But we need to see similar from Kenya and Uganda as well. We need to see similar sort of fiscal incentives that would allow some sort of flexibility in taxes. Um, essentially ensuring that companies don't have to start paying very high taxes um, from the moment they start investing in production and even start production. But as, you know, maybe as oil prices increase or as production grows, then taxes will grow um, with production as well. Those kind of fiscal incentives are very key because that's the kind of flexibility that would then attract more investment. Um, don't forget as well, too, East Africa, Kenya and Uganda also have significant costs to, uh, to bear in terms of the pipeline that have to connect their oils most of which is not in coastal cities through the coast where they can then be exported. So you need to provide fiscal incentives and also um, some sort of um, protection for this investment so that investors will be, will, will be happy to invest. Because as it stands right now, 
Both Kenya and Uganda have cost per barrels in the range of about 45 to $60 per barrel, which is quite high. So you've got to work on bringing that down. Are we looking at a focus on refinery capacity? Because at the moment, as a percentage of uh, you know, global capacity, it sits at 3.7% in Africa. And uh, you know, commentary has been that gas-to-power solutions uh, need to come to the fore to actually monetize the numerous gas discoveries that are being made recently. Uh, how much of a focus is playing on developing that arm of the sector simultaneously? We're not seeing enough, and, and that's, that's, a, that's a real area that we feel has, has strong potential. Especially when you look at the top plans for power generation, I mean, gas is always um, one of the best ways to go, to monetize gas. And then when you have a tire structure, which, I mean, East Africa, compared to West Africa, has a slightly better, a much better tire structure for electricity. So, I mean, it's, it's easier to pay the cost for gas all the way down the value chain. Like, I mean, these are the struggles we have here in East Africa. So, again, that's something that I feel should, it should be a plug-and-play option that the government needs to look at a lot more closely, how to plug gas into the power generation uh, mechanism out of the uh, major energy sources. Not enough focus at the moment, but I think it's in the plan. I mean, there's some gas recoveries in Kenya, a lot of gas in Tanzania and Mozambique, which, of course, would be quite suitable for this option. On the refinery side, um, we're starting to see some interest back again in the Ugandan refinery, which had suffered a bit of a blow um, when major investors walked away. But I, walked away. But I believe um, some of the interest is coming back from Chinese investors as well again. So, again, like I said, that, those are the countries that really need to give it a significant attention. Chinese, India, a lot of Asian interest because that's where the bulk of the oil is going to go. Yeah, we of course have had the low price environment uh, put the pace of development and uh, exploration at jeopardy or slow it down at least, uh, Dilapo. Uh, looking at uh, the way forward, I mean, are you seeing uh, more consolidation happen in the sector in, in order to withstand some of the pressures that have been exerted by this low oil price environment? Yeah, um, I mean, it depends on really who you're talking to. And, and I speak to various companies. And um, for the IOC, they don't really care about the environment because they tend to have very medium to long-term views on the market. And if you have that kind of view, then you can keep on investing even when all prices are low. Knowing that, of course, they will recover um, because they are always in cycles. Now, that's easy for you to do when you have a lot of capital. The kind of investors that we're seeing currently trying to invest are either international oil companies or national oil companies of other countries. Those still have very deep pockets and a lot of capital to invest. But the smaller, the smaller independents like Tolo, you know, like uh, Cosmos, like um, in Africa or Africa Energy and so on, those ones don't have a lot of capital to play around with. So whatever they're investing, they've got to be able to push to production within three to four years. And that's the kind of so that's the kind of trend that is deciding why we've seen some significant decline in exploration because the initial phase was led by smaller independents, but the larger the larger IOCs and NOCs are coming up to the fore now, and I believe over the next um, two three years we'll see them coming to put some capital on the table to bring this reverse production. Well, let's leave it there, Dilapo. Thanks so much for having joined us on the line this evening. Dilapo Oni is head of energy research at EcoBank. And that's a wrap for this week's Africa Inc. But you can catch us at the same time, same place uh, next week, Friday. From me, Alicia Seckham, and the rest of the team, it's cheers for now.